Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a case study panel from the 2019 POD Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference, which was moderated by Halozine's Jennifer Guzman. Ms. Guzman and her colleagues Tom Witt and Renee Tannenbaum sat down with BMS's Michael Kukolo and Brian Davidite. Together, they discussed their experience in forming and managing a drug delivery alliance. Enjoy the podcast. I'm pleased to introduce this case study on forming and managing a drug delivery alliance and our panelists from Bristol-Myers Squibb and Halozyme Therapeutics, who will share their experiences and key learnings with you. While I'm sure you all know who BMS is, a leading global biopharmaceutical company headquartered in New York and New Jersey, at the time of the creation of this alliance back in 2017, BMS had approximately 27,000 employees worldwide, a market cap of approximately $90 billion, and focused its work on four major therapeutic areas, oncology, immunoscience, cardiovascular, and fibrotic disease. You may be less familiar with Halozyme Therapeutics. It's a two-pillar company that consists of a clinical stage biotechnology company focused on developing novel cancer therapies, as well as drug delivery company focused on partnering its proprietary enhanced technology to enable some biologics to be delivered rapidly in large volumes subcutaneously. Halozyme is headquartered in San Diego, and at the time of this alliance uh, beginning, employed about 300 people and had a market cap of about $2 billion. Prior to the start of our discussion, it might be helpful to understand a bit more about the nature of this partnership that began a little over two years ago. BMS paid Halozyme $105 million up front and additional milestones and royalties to access their drug delivery technology. The agreement positioned BMS to develop subcutaneous formulations of molecules against PD-1 and 10 other immuno-oncology targets, helping BMS to differentiate itself from its competitors and providing benefits to patients in the health system. Now I'd like to ask the panel to introduce themselves. Michael? Thanks, Jen. Hi, I'm Michael Kukolo from Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm a director of transactions at Bristol-Myers. Um, I've been with the company 21 years, started on the drug development side, and then transferred, um, made the transition over to uh, business developments, specifically working on uh, transactions, and a lot of my focus has been on early stage transactions, whether it's licensing and compounds or technologies working with academics. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Tom Witt, Executive Director of Business Development and Strategy for Halozyme. I've been at the company for a little over a year. Um, prior to joining Halozyme, I spent five years at a subsidiary of Atsuka Pharmaceuticals doing business development work uh, called Avenir Pharmaceuticals. And then I spent nine years at Amgen in various FP&A finance-related roles. Hi, everyone. Uh, my, my name is Brian Davidite. I'm the Alliance Manager for Bristol-Myers Squibb, supporting the Halozyme Alliance. Uh, I'm actually a CPA background. I did a three-year stint in public accounting, and then I went to Merck for uh, about 15 years, and I've been at BMS for 14 years, the last three years in Alliance Management. Good morning. My name is Renee Tannenbaum. I'm a Vice President of Alliances at Halozyme Therapeutics. I've been there for about three years since 2016. I'm a clinical pharmacist by background and spent many years in the uh, pharmaceutical industry at Merck, at Bristol-Myers, Novartis, and a, and a few small biotechs along the way, and uh, recently joined Halozyme as Head of Alliance Management. So happy to be here a part of the panel. 
Thank you. So now let's get into the details about the timeline from initial introduction of these two companies to deal signing. <laughs> it looks like it took quite a while for a deal to be signed. So let's start with Tom and Michael. Can you tell us what has to be done to build this type of relationship? And what are some of the challenges and key learnings? Michael, do you want to start? Sure, Jen. Thank you. First of all, like we all know we're here basically to do partnering. We're looking for partnering opportunities. Um, for full disclosure out of everybody on this panel, I've been the one that's been known of Halazine for the longest. So I know the history from February 2006 all the way to deal closure and now through Alliance. Um, we have relationships with a number of companies in here that hasn't, have not yet led to you know, full deal closure or anything like that, but it's been developing over time. Uh, so the slide's not set up to frighten uh, folks on the sell side. It's like, well, how do we work with pharma? Like, how do we get in? How do we do things? It, it is a bit of a process. And there needs to be a couple of things. There needs to be a problem that needs to be solved by the pharmaceutical company. You know, if we're, we're putting all this money, investing into a technology of some kind, there has to be a true rationale that we could sell to our governance. And you know, we're doing it from the inside as the, the, the uh, buying company. I'm actually selling to the corporation as well. Um, just want to briefly go through the time slide to show what happens. And again, there's, there's folks in this group that know us and have worked with us over time as well. The way this worked out was back in February at one of these conferences, I had met one of the BD folks from Halazine. It was kind of new and novel at that time. Um, they were still going through the proof of concept phase. And we basically kept in touch. But nothing really happened to 2011. During this time frame, you have to remember, there's a lot of changes going on at Halazine. BD folks are changing positions, leaving the company. The CEO leaves, they get a new CEO. At BMS, commercial teams are turning over. But in February 2011, the development team was interested in trying out um, some of the material and doing a feasibility assessment, really with no product in mind. Um, then later on, one of the disease areas, the commercial team engaged and said, hey, you know, this might be useful for us to try. We had conversations. That commercial person left on the immunoscience side, and we went nowhere. Um, in 2013, we involved, from, from, from my perspective, we got the development team involved. You know, we had proof of concept. We liked the way the material performed. It did what it was supposed to do. We got, had gotten a commercial colleague involved. <clears throat> and a clinical comp uh, person. So basically, it's, it's rounding up the folks that might have interest in this, instead of just presenting it to the development teams all the time. Um, with, with that situation in 2013, basically, whoever, I forgot who was at Halazon at that time, but their, their business structure, business model, was very unflexible, and we just couldn't come to terms on what they were looking for. Um, so there was quiet time. Halazon would update us over time. In 2016, Renee came into the picture and reached out through somebody else who introduced it to me, not realizing I had the history with Halazine, and that's when things really took off. Yeah. So just um, what's interesting is, um, so I joined the company in 2016, had worked at BMS before, saw the opportunity, and really got personally committed to saying we need to do a deal with BMS, met um, Michael through another contact I had at BMS, and um, 
and didn't realize the history of this, this 10 years before that, that he was aware of the technology. So we, we started all over again getting into the development teams, and we had a meeting um, around Thanksgiving of uh, 2016 where we got all the development folks together uh, in the formulation, pharmaceutical development folks. Some had known of the technology, some didn't, but we started from scratch, had a, had a deep technical conversation, and there was, there was interest, and they had in mind a program that they thought would benefit from this, that had expressed a need. So it, it comes back to having the right timing. So we started the technical conversation again, then were able to engage with the commercial folks, and then that led to things accelerating. I'll let you finish. Correct. Thanks, Renee. So I think my key message was a lot of the times with the technologies, we introduced um, the sellers to our development folks. You know, it's like, all right, you know, here's technologies, here's a tool to work with, it goes into our tool chest. What I learned with working with Halozyme, and to Halozyme's credit, um, they identified programs where it might be applicable and you know, built, built up some models to share with the commercial team. So it's, it's key for me as a business development person to bring the technologies as I see applicable, not only to the development team, but engage commercial up front. I mean, commercial's going to be the driver. I needed a passionate driver for this technology, someone that could see its applicability and sell it internally. Um, and it came basically out of the, this time, not the immunoscience team, but the oncology group, uh, where they identified different targets where this might be helpful um, for products that are currently on the market, as well as products that are in our pipeline. So overall, what I learned, it was a very important to get, you know, okay, development proved it. The we didn't have to do much diligence because we did so much from 2011 forward. It was more now plug and play, let's get everybody engaged, sell it internal, get the government support, governance support that we need and take it forward. So that's the view from like, okay, a buyer, what are they looking for in technology? There needs to be a definitive asset or assets to apply it to. I'm going to ask Tom to give his experience now from you know seller perspective. You know, w what do they do? What are they thinking during this time? What are their goals or objectives? And who should they basically use a point person with on the buying side? Tom. Thanks, Michael. So, um, as I mentioned in my introduction, I've only been at Halozyme for a year, so I take no blame for any of this 11 years here that you see on the slide. But, um, you know, I, I've been involved in three transactions since I've been there in the, in the last year, um, and most of our deals are with the big pharma players. And so, um, we get used to the complexities of having to deal with a, uh, a matrixed large organization with multiple stakeholders. And I think some of the, the key um, challenges that we often face when we're trying to uh, initiate interest with new partners is identifying the key stakeholders. Uh, you know, Michael mentioned about the fact that commercial is being a key driver. Um, you know, we come to conferences like this, and all, most of you guys who are here on the, on the sell side are trying to make connections with folks that are on the technical front, um, which we have found to be kind of the good tip of the spear in a lot of cases when you get the excitement for folks who understand the science uh, as a first step, and then you have to work and navigate your way through a process of getting additional stakeholders. Something like Enhance, which is the technology that we're licensing, um, is very difficult because of the fact that it touches so many different functional areas, and you have to get support across not only commercial, um, but also regulatory and clinical development and IP and CMC. Um, and so this is why these deals often take a long time, because you have to get these stakeholders on board, and oftentimes you're doing it piecemeal and one at a time. Um, and having that connection point with your counterpart on the other side, um, unfortunately, Michael and I just met yesterday 
yesterday, actually, so that wasn't the case here, but I think my experience is having a good uh, internal point person on the other side from a business development perspective helps, um, helps shepherd these deals. And on the sell side, when you're in a small company and you're talking to a big company, one of the biggest challenges or frustrations that you'll often face is just um, a lack of, of information. And sometimes you feel like things are progressing well, and then all of a sudden the company just goes quiet. And you're wondering, like, is something I said? Did they change their mind? And there's not always a lot of transparency. If you develop a good relationship with your counterpart, um, it helps kind of understand what the, the thought process is on that side. Um, and so as you're developing that relationship, it can help you align better in terms of what you can be doing differently. Michael mentioned the fact that Halozyme back in the day had pointed VMS towards a number of programs that, that we thought might be a good fit for the technology. And that's one thing that we try to do, but it's interesting how um, the, the other side is really different case by case in terms of their interest in hearing your thoughts on their business versus a perspective of, thanks for your ideas, but we know this better than you do, so we got it from here. And so you really have to be uh, good at reading your, your counterparts and, and understanding what they, what they like and what they don't like and adjusting your your approach that way. Um, and, you know, and one of the things I'd like to, you know, kind of think through and, and talk with, with Michael about from a, from a BD perspective is the, is the challenge of a single point of contact. Um, in, in an 11-year example, you go, you go quiet for a while. Oftentimes, we get pressure, or I get pressure from my management to, okay, well, let's go find other uh, touch points within the company. Let's go talk to somebody in commercial or talk to somebody in clinical development and try to find another champion around there. But you have to be cognizant of the fact that if you do have a point of contact and you're circumventing that, you can cause more harm than good. So I'd love to maybe get your experiences, whether it's in this deal or other deals that you've done with, uh, with partners around. You have a, you have a kind of a, an established point of contact and what are the pros and cons in your minds of someone trying to um, expand the circle and getting additional champions on board? Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. I know we touched on that a little bit. Um, my view has always come in through the business development team uh, or keep it to one contact. Uh, there's novel opportunities that go through somebody might email uh, Giovanni, our CEO. It's going to go down to the BD group anyway, basically, to disseminate the information to others. Um, there are, there's times when companies are just knocking on every doors and everybody's getting the same email. It, it's a little distracting and then we wonder, do they really have a focus on, the outside company, do they really have a focus on, you know, what they want to do? The key, I think, is to build a relationship with the business development group or whoever you want to, and, and stick with that person. If you're not building a relationship with someone on the commercial side, then make sure, and, and there's no real BD contact that you can find, make sure you build a, a relationship with who, the, that primary person. It could be on the development side. There's things that have come to me through my colleagues in development. They've been in the audience at different conferences. They go to conferences I don't go to, and they'll bring things back to me. But I think within BD, we're the conduit throughout the whole organization to see if there's interest. Now, I'm not a decision maker. Basically, I'm a facilitator. I have to see how this fits in, present it to the clinicians uh, relative projects, to projects I'm working on, present it to the commercial team. So at least I have that connectivity. Um, and all, all pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical companies are set up differently. We don't have an innovation arm or a technology arm, per se. But we do have um, a development, commercial, and clinical 
um, group that works very closely together to implement novel technologies and ideas into our pipeline. So bottom line, I think just one contact, whether that contact be your BD person or somebody else, build the relationship there. So now let's move the discussion to the post-execution of the deal. We'll move to Renee and Brian. And to start off, what have been some of the challenges and successes from each of your perspectives? How have things evolved over the last two years since execution, if at all? Brian, do you want to start? Sure, I can start. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, there are uh, the contract was for uh, eight targets with the potential of 11. So uh, five of those kicked off rather quickly. Um, the, uh, once the deal was uh, executed in November 2017, the first program as, uh, was the PD-1, so that was kicked off quite quickly. And then the second one was an uh, early uh, development asset that kicked off in uh, January 2018. So there were three others that were also actively being worked upon. Um, so as you can imagine, like when you, the, the initial kickoff period, there's a nice good honeymoon period, everyone's uh, gung-ho, but it's it's five different programs, five different compounds. And as mentioned, one of them was an inline product. We had some, uh, a few late development, a few early development. So it's a, a lot of different people, a lot of hands in the cookie jar on the BMS side. Uh, probably uh, over 200 people that were, had some involvement at, at some point. So um, what happened was I think that we had to do, we had some communication challenges in-house. We had to kind of do a little bit of internal house cleaning to understand that there was some inconsistency of messaging. There were too many points of contact. So we had to narrow the focus, do a little streamlining to ensure that the communication process with the Halasheim folks was better going forward. Yeah, and just to present it from our perspective, a uh, small company of 300 versus 27,000. So imagine five active programs. Each program team is probably 20 people. Between all the functions, you've got regulatory, CMC, uh, clinical, et cetera. So you've got every program team with a unique set of folks dealing with a small biotech company at Halozyme who has one program team trying to serve all of those functions. So. Um, that, that generated a lot of complexity for us, and um, the communication lines were good, but things got tangled along the way. The other thing is the first program through is doing all the heavy lifting. The first time you do a regulatory filing, the first time you do your CMC and your co-formulation work, the first time you figure out what dose of enzyme do we need for this product with this volume and this viscosity. And so we had to go through a huge education process with each program. And I, I tie it back to um, what I think Michael said was, he pointed out how important relationship is and the deal evolution. Relationship is also critically important, as you know, on the alliance side. So because um, Brian and I and our teams had really good relationship, we could be honest with each other, and we both said something's not working. The communication is good, but it's not organized. Um, on our end, we're feeling like we're duplicating effort. We need help in terms of streamlining and getting all the functions on board, learning the technology, and streamlining how they work together. And so I think about a year into it, 
BMS uh, proposed a, a different set of uh, governance structure, which we've been implementing now for about eight months, and it's, it's just going smoothly. But because we had the relationship and um, the openness with each other to have that conversation, um, it was easy to execute it, and we're closely monitoring, and it seems to be working really well. Yeah, yeah I think that the... Uh, when the contract is signed and then it comes over to the alliance team to manage, which I think going forward, it's always good to have the, try to get the alliance team in, involved a little earlier. The, um, yeah, we, I think you have to realize that sometimes the, the, the contract is sort of more of a, a guide. It's, 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 it's set in stone, but there is some flexibility. So in the contract itself, there is really only one governance meeting yeah. committee that was formed. And we realized that it, there was, it wasn't enough. So uh, we created some sub-teams, and then we, now we have uh, one committee that's more of, of operational day-to-day. -day. We meet um, other, yeah, twice a week, twice, twice a month, I think. Uh, and then we have a, um, another committee that's more tactical that goes through the, the programs and the progress that the programs are making. And then we have another committee that's uh, more of a strategic committee that's uh, higher level for escalation issues, and, um, and they meet quarterly. And I think that uh, that process, also kind of leveraging the experience across all the uh, functional teams has been uh, quite successful. One of the other things I wanted to talk about, which again builds on relationship and the openness that um, Tom and Mike were talking about in terms of having that, that openness with each other. Um, transparency is really important to the successful execution of anything. So imagine, you know, large Bristol-Myers Squibb has many critical programs, lots of confidential information, but information that we, Halozyme, need to understand about their protocol design, their regulatory strategy, et cetera, so that we can integrate our, our technology into their programs rapidly to have success and get to patients as quickly as possible. That's both of our goals. And you're dealing with um, companies that are um, are used to you know, keeping this information very close at hand and didn't quite understand why, you know, just it's like give us the technology, tell us how to use it and go away and we can, we can do what we need. That doesn't, that doesn't work. It could work, but it'll lead to delays and potentially some missteps along the way. So one of the requests we had after years of, um, of relationships with various companies and experience across 20 different programs over the years, we said if, if we can share with each other the clinical protocols, the regulatory path, uh, the dosing strategies, wh what you're thinking about in terms of devices, integrating devices into your, into your um, presentations over time. If we can understand where you're going, we can help you think through how to optimally use our technology quickly and to avoid some of the pitfalls we've learned. It's easy to say that, but having that level of transparency is sometimes a challenge. And we had some ups and downs, um, which we can speak to, but um, I think overall, I think we have a really very close working relationship that we've built over the last two years, and a lot of trust that has led us to advancing many programs quickly. Yeah, I can add one thing. So the, with, with the five programs moving uh, pretty quickly, and two really moving quickly, um, there was uh, uh, Various documents that we would ha uh, that we'd, we would provide Halazine for review, and uh, one team would redact a little bit more than the other. Uh, one team would provide a lot of the information, and uh, then you get the team together. Like, well, why are you giving them so much? And uh, the, the team that gave more of the information said, "Well, 
they came back with some really good comments that we incorporated. So it, it just, you, had to, you have to break the barriers, you have to get the trust going, and I think the transparency was really helpful in that case. And I think going forward, I think we realized that the, as a partner, that's, that's the way to go. You know, one of the things we also sometimes experience as a small company working with a larger company, um, it's almost this mindset of you're a vendor versus a partner. And that goes back to the transparency and the relationship building. And we, we really work very hard to uh, work with our partners to help them understand the value we can bring to the program, not just from a technology, but also from our experience. And inclu being inclusive and letting us be part of the team and um, work more as a partner versus just a, men a vendor or a CMO um, makes a big difference in how we execute. And we've learned that over the years with the nine partners that we have, where they're more open, where we have more of that partnership mentality, it really leads to much more success. I wanted to just jump in and, and shift gears for a second because I think uh, Michael made a comment earlier on that I'd actually love to get his feedback on specifically because I wasn't part of this transaction. But you know, one, of the, one of the key elements from the, from the sell side, from a BD perspective, is flexibility and kind of trying to you know, customize what you're working on, what you're offering with your partner in terms of what's, what's their need. Um, and you, you know, you, if you look at the timeline slide here, there was a three-year break at one point um, between 2013 and 2016. And you had mentioned about inflexibility at that time in terms of what was driving BMS to kind of step away. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts in terms of what that means in terms of contract terms or other elements, and then what, what changed to kind of help re restart the engines. That's a good point, Tom. So in 2013, it was at, at a point where we had engagement. We had um, basically a problem statement that we wanted to address using the Halazine technology. Um, we didn't take at that point up so far and communicate it throughout the organization, but we were just trying to get a feel for what Halazyme's interests were in that time, what their objective, and you know, it was, it was basically revealed through their, their um, business model. And whoever I was working with on that side at that time, basically we just committed to this one business model. It was fairly expensive to work with them up front. Um, and whether it was their CEO at the time, there was really no breaking of ground, and it, it wasn't really a value to BMS to, to make this change with one of our products. It was a life cycle management approach that we were looking at as opposed to a, a pipeline product. Um, so basically, we went out separate ways. Um, now, during that time, there were different folks within Halazine that would keep us updated on how things were advancing on the technology, what kind of regulatory advancements they would make, you know, how we would potentially um, do a, a clinical study if we need to do a bridging study on a, a product that we had in, clinical in, in, in the clinics at the time. But I think the business development remained the same. I can't speak for the history of Halazine, but I guess there was a management change somewhere in 2015, 2016, that when we identified a potential use of the technology, they had a more flexible business model, and that definitely helped. Because Renee can probably say, I, I remember we had this conversation, she spoke with one of our development folks and said, you know, what, what happened with that immunoscience project? 
And the development person says it was just, there was no value in it for BMS. It was just too expensive to work with Halozyme. And whether, whether, that, whether Renee changed the business model, whatever, the business model at Halozyme had changed at that point. And that goes back to the flexibility, the wanting to work together. Their goal basically is aligned with our goal to get the product out there, to make it more available to patients, easier patient access. Um, and thinking in that mindset, you can sort of s distribute the value proposition. Yeah, I think there's a good lesson learned there, too, again, from the, from the sell side perspective, because, again, I wasn't part of that transaction, but knowing the history of our discussions over time, it kind of started with a single target. And those who don't have familiarity with the enhanced business model, we tend to license rights to a molecular target on an exclusive basis, and thereby allows our partners to have the only one that can develop a sub-Q formulation towards that target. And in this specific example, I think in the beginning, we were talking about one target, two targets, kind of bouncing around ideas in terms of whether it might be a need. Um, and then the, 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 talks, the talks broke off, came back because of the, uh, as Michael mentioned, around the, around the upfront component. Um, when it actually ended up coming to fruition a few years later, it ended up being the biggest upfront deal in Halozyme's history. Um, we've done nine different deals across the pharma landscape. This one was the biggest one by far. Um, and it goes back to the flexibility discussion as well, because when we came back together again, we were again talking more so around one or two targets, and then as, as BMS became more and more familiar with it, as it got more uh, populated throughout the organization, it ended up becoming a eight-target deal with the ability to add three more for $105 million up front, as, as what Jennifer mentioned. And so um, sometimes playing the long game on the sell side can, can pay off. You have to really kind of be strategic around when do you want to um, lock yourself in and at what terms, because every deal you do kind of sets a bar for your next deal. And so if you look at the, trans, the, or the, uh, the, tra the translation of, of Halozyme deals over time, they've grown bigger and bigger and bigger um, with each deal. A lot of it is due to the value validation that we see in terms of regulatory approvals. I think at the time that we are towards the end of negotiating with BMS on a deal, um, we got our first product approved by the FDA with another uh, partner of ours, which kind of helped validate the technology because there's always the risk profile when you're talking about combining technologies and what the regulatory perspectives are going to be. So I think the, the, key, the key lesson there is to stay flexible, continue to kind of see things will change, ebb and flow throughout the process. And um, you may have stepped away at one point. Um, at the end of the day, it obviously came back to be our most successful marriage and, and one that we, were, that we were very proud of. So um, lesson to those, again, that are out there with new technologies is, you know, think long-term as well as short-term, um, because it's, it's, it, is, it is a long game. And as we're wrapping this up, I don't know, Michael and uh, the rest of the panel, if you want to say your key learnings from this alliance and this discussion. Sure. I, just to recap it, I mean, it is flexibility, transparency, uh, patience, <clears throat> patience being the patients who want to deliver the drug to, and patients being patient along the process. Um, it is a matter of building relationships. <clears throat> as soon as, as soon as the, the the buyer identifies a real need, you can see things move rather quickly. I mean, to, to get the deal, the diligence done, and the signing all within a three or four month period is pretty quick. So um, those are three characteristics that are, I think are important in having companies work together. For me, I would say the uh, communication and the um, 
making sure you do face-to-face -face dialogue every so often. So, um, for instance, the, some of the Halzheim team, since they're on the East Coast, they're going to come down to Princeton next week. Uh, in the summer, we'll be at uh, bioconferences in San Diego. We'll have the opportunity to go to uh, visit Halzheim. So I think that's the face-to-face -face interaction just is, uh, is, is can amount to have success. Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, building on the relationship that the trust that you started with the deal and carrying that through the execution, trust, transparency, and flexibility is always the case. I say thank you to our panel. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Pod Drug Delivery Conference. The 2020 meeting will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org.